you get gratification by speaking about exciting ideas and things you potentially want to do. And actually you then never really do anything, which I think is a really a big problem for dreamers. You have to put it to work. You have to really do it. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you create a more fulfilling career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and successfully make a major career change. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you take your own brave steps to improve your career and life. Today, my guest will share her story of how she relaunched her career from being an international cover model to launching a new snacks brand in the UK. We'll discuss handling the emotions of rejection and balancing the different interests in your career. Afterwards, I'll share a few thoughts on how to turn your ideas into something concrete. Today, I'm speaking with Colette Russell-Smith, who's been an international model for the past 10 years, working with leading agencies across three different continents, representing some of the world's most esteemed brands. Colette is also a qualified Pilates instructor and is very focused on well-being. She's originally from the food and wine region of South Africa, where she received her honors bachelor's in commerce at the University of South Africa, and later went on to study film at the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles. Colette has always been a passionate foodie and is now based in England, where she's the co-founder of the Saver Smiths brand, combining quality homegrown produce with big global flavors for a new take on a traditional snack. Now, I really enjoyed chatting with Colette, and she's going to give you a unique, honest glimpse into what it's like to be a model and some of the surprising parallels between modeling and entrepreneurship. You can learn more about Colette, her modeling, and Saver Smiths at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 24. Colette spoke with me from Cambridge, England. Well, good morning, Colette. It's really nice to talk with you again and very exciting to have you here on Career Relaunch. Good morning, Joseph. Nice to speak to you too. Now, you've got a very interesting mix of professional experiences. You're an international model, and I know you're really passionate about well-being, and you're also busy launching a new food brand here in the UK. So I want to try to get to all these things, but can you start by telling me about what you're focused on right now in your life and career? Right now, I am focused on Saversmiths mainly, which is our new brand new luxury potato crisp brand that we've started. And also modeling. I'm trying to juggle the two together, but I would say mainly Saversmiths is taking a bit of priority just because it's new and it's like a, a newborn baby. <laughs> I have to tell you, I went and I, I picked up a bag of your Wagyu beef and honey mustard crisps from Fortnum and Mason strictly to do some research here. And I have to say they're very tasty crisps. Oh, I'm glad you, you got some and that you like them. <laughs> That's good. Yes, very tasty. Now you are our first model that I've had on the show and also the first guest from South Africa. So I'd love to start today by going back in time, Colette, and digging into your career trajectory as an international model before we get to your time co-founding Saver Smiths. Going back to your modeling days, which I understand you started at the age of 13, can you walk me through how you first decided you wanted to go into professional modeling? I was in South Africa. I was in school at the time because I was 13 years old. I didn't find modeling. Modeling found me. I was walking around in a shopping center somewhere in Cape Town and um, a scout came up to me and said, would you like to join our agency? So I was like, you know, didn't really know what he was talking about. 
But afterwards, when I got home, I Googled it and there was some of the like best South African models at this agency. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'd love to do that. So I spoke to my dad who um, then said, yes, you can do it, but I'm going with you. And he went and he told the agency, you know, she can do it, but she has to finish school and she can't supply like zoo (laughs) and this and that. How do you come to realize that you are actually model material? Like, I know that this scout came up and they found you, but as you're getting into the industry, how do you start to come to realize that, hey, this could be something I could be doing professionally? I suppose you'll be more sure the more jobs you get. I suppose if you're booking no jobs, then you probably know that it's not for you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have to be a certain look and a certain height. If you're really, really short or really, 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 really tall or big, you probably can't do it because you have to look generically pretty, take care of yourself, have good skin, good teeth, good physical attributes. Although these days, especially in London, I know people love the androgynous look, the weirder you are, the cooler. You probably have to have a good personality as well. I suppose clients will book you by your looks, but then they won't rebook you unless you have a good personality and they love to work with you. Can you just explain to me how your father reacted to your decision to start to pursue modeling? How did you manage that? I grew up in um, South Africa in a quite a conservative household. And my dad was very much into, you know, getting a proper degree. He did inspire me and I did listen to him because he's a very successful entrepreneur himself and he's made a big success in his own life with his own business and finance. But we did have a lot of arguments because I just wanted to model and act. And I started studying originally in Stellenbosch before I did my degree at UNISA. And I phoned him one day and I was like, hi, dad, I'm quitting. I'm going to Hollywood. I'm going to become an actress. <laughs> and he was like, okay, fine. And when I came back, he told me, I think it's time you do a proper degree. I ended up doing business management, which in hindsight was one of the best things I ever did. Without knowing that I'll get into food products, I did do some product development, product management subjects. I did a bit of logistics, international business and things like that, which does help me. I think everything you learn at university, it doesn't define whether you'll be successful, but it has been very good to me. And it's kind of grounded me. And it's also made me come to London, which was a very good thing. When you were studying, were you still keeping up the modeling The deal was always that I could do as much modeling as I wanted to, travel the world as much as I wanted to, as long as I do a bit of studying as well. Yeah, I think when when most of us think about what it's like to be a model, or or at least speak for myself, I kind of think of fun photo shoots or fancy events. What do you think are some of the common misconceptions about modeling that you only realized once you were in the industry for a while? Well, I think that is something that I really think people don't always get, like you say, the challenges because it all looks glamorous. You know, you're always looking pretty. You get invited to nice events. People automatically think that you're cool, probably because you're a model. It's really not the case. It's a very unstable, very saturated market. One of the main things that I really find hard about modeling is that what you put in is not necessarily what you get out. So you can go and, you know, train as much as you want, work as go to every casting, do everything you can. And then, you know, it still doesn't guarantee anything. 
and there's no stability. So you don't really know where your next job is coming from and you kind of live on the edge, which is fun if you like living on the edge, which I do to a certain extent. I think being an entrepreneur is probably a bit similar. It's just that whole thing of like, you know, you'd never know if you're quite good enough. You get a lot of rejection all the time. Sometimes agencies would tell you, can't you please just lose like this much more weight? Can't you like wear this type of clothing? Can't you make your hair this tone? You know, it's just so much criticism and rejection. And yeah, it's just a lot of uncertainty. It's quite an unpredictable place to be. And I think that's also where a lot of eating disorders and, you know, things come from because girls and guys both just start feeling really insecure. But I've been lucky. My, um, my mother and father has been very good at telling me, you know, it's not me, I'm good enough, and it's just the modeling industry. So that's been really helpful. One of the things that we talk about on this podcast, Colette, a lot is this idea of rejection, because I know when people are trying to make a shift in their career, it's like what you said, you put in all this effort and then things don't always work out. How did you manage those challenges yourself, specifically the rejection side of the industry? I grew up with a mother and a father that's been very, very supportive, which I think plays a massive role in one's life if you're lucky enough to have them. And they've really motivated me and made me quite firm in who I am. I've read a lot of books on self-improvement and all of this. And I've also had good mentors along my life. I always try to have people that like motivate me, are positive, that build me up, which I think is very important. Something that made a profound effect on me is a friend of mine booked a, a yogurt commercial one year and she did the casting for the commercial the previous year. And she said to the director, you know, I did the casting last year. Why didn't you book me last year if you booked me this year? And he said, oh, no, no, no. We wanted to, but the producer thought you looked too much like his ex-wife who he hated. <laughs> and that just, you know, kind of puts it into perspective that often you think it's your fault, but there's so many little things that can play a role in why people say no or yes. You know, you might catch someone at a good time, a bad time. They might be tired. Of course, people can't say yes to everyone. There is a chance that you will have no as an answer, but you just got to learn that it's not you. Yeah, it's a very good reminder that I think it's hard not to take these rejections personally. And at the same time, it may have absolutely nothing to do with you in some other circumstance that you have no control over. I'd love to kind of shift gears now a little bit, Colette, and talk about what you did next in the next chapter in your career. What happened next for you? Because I know that you, you mentioned you moved from South Africa to the UK. Can you just describe how your career started to evolve at this point in your life? At the time when I moved to the UK, I was still studying and I did an open distance university so I could travel do modeling and study at the same time, which worked perfectly because obviously with modeling you have castings, but they don't necessarily run the whole day. You can work in the evening, morning, whenever. So it worked really well. I joined Nev's Models in London, which is a really good agency that I have a lot of respect for. And they've been really good to me. And at the same time, I was they got me so much work and it went so well that I decided to just live in the UK because it was financially such a good thing compared to South Africa and some other countries in the world. It was a really good market for me and it still is. And then I thought, you know, once I finished my studies, I'd really like to do something with my life, you know, and have my own business. And then I spoke to someone who had a, a proper business in finance and I thought maybe I should start doing that. And at the time I've, I also met Mike and Mike was like, 
quite good. He played quite a crucial role in steering me towards doing something more entrepreneurial. He said, for example, my lifestyle would change so much if all of a sudden I had to go to the office every day at the same time, have an hour lunch break, commute, this and that. So I thought he's probably right. So I started reading a lot, thinking a lot about what I wanted to do. And London is such an inspirational place for new ideas and finding your your thing that you want to do because everything is possible. I then thought I would go into retail and fashion maybe and, and do something in that regard. By accident, I bumped into Digger Suleiman, who's one of the guys from Dragon's Den. And um, we eventually met up. It was all like serendipity. And I spoke to him about doing this thing in retail and fashion, which I thought would be perfect for me because that's what I'm good at. That's what I you know, know. Was that just a completely random interaction you had with him? Or how did this opportunity to talk with Tukur Suleiman come up? It was really random. I was standing in the street. I was waiting for Mike. We were on our way to a dinner. Tukur was also waiting in the street, kind of walked past me, came and stood next to me, said, you know, hi, do you work in fashion? And um, we, we chatted or whatever. I was kind of like, who is this? I have no idea who it is. <laughs> and um, the next week, a magazine came through my post box and he was on the cover. And I was like, oh, my word, <laughs> I should have spoken to him because he's obviously quite a successful guy who I can learn from. The next week, it happened again. He was in another magazine. So I thought, OK, I'm just going to pull up my courage and give him a, a call. So I thought, the way I can get his number is I'll make contact with him on LinkedIn, which I then did and immediately got in contact, phoned him. We went for lunch the next day and that's how our friendship kind of started. It was really funny, but it just shows you once again that even people that you think you can't talk to are people that are like so successful and inspirational. They often love to share knowledge and they love for you to pick their brains and, you know, they're happy to help you because obviously somewhere along the line, someone helped them. He made me realize that I should find a different path. So yeah, I then took a metaphorical sabbatical, few months of no talking to people about what I wanted to do and really think about what I wanted to do. Because I think often what I've done is I'm guilty too, is you get gratification by speaking about exciting ideas and things you potentially want to do. And actually you then never really do anything, which I think is a really a big problem for dreamers and entrepreneurs, because you have to put it to work, you have to really do it, which is the difficult part. After a long while, I realized that actually all I like in life, and all I think about, want to read about and do is, is food and drink. I'm a real foodie, I love everything about it. And I thought, let's do something in that area. And Mike loves it too. You mentioned you took a sabbatical from talking to other people about your ideas. Was it just the space and the time you had to reflect on what you wanted that ultimately allowed you to figure out what it is that you like? How did you decide that food was a passion versus just an interest of yours? I finished my studies and I only did modeling. So I had quite a lot of time, you know, where I just went for a walk, did things where I really thought and reflected on what I really like in life and what I wanted to do. And what I I really realized that that is what I like and that is what me as a person always want to think about, do. I'm always, you know, looking at new foodie things, new restaurants. So I took myself out of the box and looked at my own behavior. And that's how I came to realize that it's a really big passion for me. And how did the idea for Saver Smiths come about then? So Mike then said, you know, if you do something entrepreneurial, 
I'll do it with you. I'll support you. I think it's a really good idea. So we thought let's maybe do something with fresh food because because of my whole Pilates instructor background and Mike's also very healthy and we wanted to do something that we could be proud of. We chatted to a guy called David Franks who ended up being, he's still our non-executive consultant and he's been really a really good mentor for us. And I read a few books on fresh produce and we were thinking and thinking. And then one night, I think we were just having like a glass of champagne <laughs> and we had like a ta-da moment. And the plan came together and we were like, Mike's family are potato farmers. It's amazing. We love snacks. That's something we absolutely love. Let's go into potato crisp manufacturing, which is not a novel idea. It's not the, you know, it's not a brand new idea. But we thought since they have the farm, it's so nice. It's something we personally love. And let's make the best crisp that there's ever been in the UK. And that's kind of how it came together. How do you now think about how you balance your time between Saver Smiths and also your modeling? And the reason why I ask is a lot of times people who are listening are interested in portfolio careers or this idea of having multiple interests and keeping them afloat. How do you balance those two? And there may be other things also, because I know you also mentioned you were a Pilates instructor. I try to do a Saver Smiths when I'm not modeling. If I'm modeling, obviously I take the day off and I kind of focus on that. I do my castings. If I commute and go on the train, I send emails from my laptop while I'm commuting or when I'm working and I have a free moment, I work on Saver Smiths. The funny thing now is, which is really ironic, is before, you know, agencies would tell you to like eat healthy, go to the gym, exercise. And now all of a sudden I have the clients and the agency devouring my crisps in front of me at castings <laughs> and the jobs, which are really funny. <laughs> They're like, oh my way, we can't believe you do this now. What's really important is that you must realize that you can do more than one thing. Um, Mike always has a really good motto in life, which is it's not about what you do, but what you get done. And I try to focus on that because I think sometimes you can spend 10 hours kind of floating about doing various things, but not getting so much done. Whereas you can really go and sit down for like nine. I think it's the um, Moncasoldis Ferrari. He said the first 90 minutes of the day is so important. And I really try to do that. I try to sit down, really look at everything and go through everything and make lists. And I think when your mind gets so busy, it's really good to keep lists and plan. Because I think if you fail to plan your tomorrow, then you've planned to fail basically. So I think it's easy to keep balance if you have to tick everything off and do everything because it's very complicated if you just try to remember what you must do. And I also think another way in which I balance my life is I try to make time for myself as well because I think it energizes you. Just where you sit back and kind of get inspiration and do things you enjoy where you can reflect. So I go for a walk every day. I know Mike does that too. We don't go together, but we go separately. It's just a little walk. It's really good for you to just take a breather and then you can get back, be focused, be balanced. And it really makes it easy. Some people would need to, you know, just sit and have a cup of tea or whatever they want to do. What do you think has been the most surprising part of having both of these careers, which at least on the surface, don't seem to be directly related with one another. The rejection is so similar. And I actually, I feel so lucky to have had modeling, you know, a modeling career before I started being an entrepreneur, because it's, there's so much rejection in this. I mean, when, when we obviously phone a lot of people up, go see a lot of clients, make contact with them, email them. And a lot of people just really don't care about you and really just, you know, they just like, no, you know, I don't 
want to work with you. I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're phoning me. And um, it's very similar as similar to, or they just simply don't like it, or they like something else, or they're friendly with someone who has another Chris brand or whatever. You never know. Um, and I think that's very similar as well. And I, I think what I've learned from modeling and that I can, that I find in, in the entrepreneurial world too, is you just got to push through and you mustn't think of, dwell on it too much and think about the rejection too much and think about the uncertainty too much. You must just kind of look for the next thing and the next client and every day is a new day with new opportunity. And when you look back on this past year of launching Saver Smiths and now managing that business, what's something that you wish you had known about this new life of yours that you now know? Well, I wish I started earlier because it's so much fun. It is so satisfying and it's not been simple, but it is possible clearly. And um, I just absolutely love it. I think before I was always uncertain about what I should do. And like, I was thinking, you know, can I do it? And it's also part of the whole rejection thing, you know, about will I be good enough to achieve this and grow a good business and everything. If I let go of all those insecurities and fears, I would have started earlier. And yeah, that's what I think I wish I knew it can be done. Having been through this career transition, what's one thing that you've learned about yourself? One thing is that I'm really a people person. I love people. I love being creative. I love just working with people. And I love this lifestyle of being an entrepreneur. I like the the rush of not knowing what's next. And I've also learned that I can be quite disciplined and that I could do a lot in a business more than I thought I could, because at the moment it's just me and Mike still, and we both do everything from our accounts to our marketing to our flavoring, you know, everything we do. And I, I never realized that I could do quite so much myself and in such a short space of time as well. I want to wrap up by talking a little bit more about Saver Smiths. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's next for you guys at Saver Smiths? I know you were recently listed in Waitrose, which I know for those people who are outside the UK who aren't familiar with Waitrose, it's one of the most well-known and more upmarket mass grocery stores in the UK. So what's next for you guys at Saver Smiths? Well, we're just trying to continue selling our product to more places in the UK. So um, we try to focus on farm shops, delis, gourmet pubs, gourmet restaurants. We really love quality and um, we've tried to put the most luxurious ingredients into our crisps. We try to go for that sort of market. So we'll try and get to, into more shops like that. We'll try and export a little bit. We've already started exporting to Germany. We've done some in America actually as well, but we haven't done that much because we're only still a baby company. So yeah, we'll try and look at that and we'll try and bring out new exciting flavors, which we're, we're currently working on some, which is quite exciting. Do you have a favorite flavor? I think you guys have four flavors out right now. I think my favorite is the Parmesan and Port flavor. I just really like it. Um, we've actually just been nominated for a Great British Food Award for that flavor. And then I think the Champers and Serrano chili is a very fun flavor because you get that fizz of champagne on your tongue followed by a hint of Serrano chili, which is really fun and exciting, I think. Now, I do have a confession, Colette. I didn't tell you this the last time we talked, but I think you know I used to work for Goo Desserts. Yeah. It's another indulgent brand. And whenever you joined the company at the time, you had to say what your guilty pleasure was. 
And uh, then they include that underneath your staff headshot on the website. And I kid you not, I said my guilty pleasure was eating meat flavored crisps. <laughs> so uh, I was very happy to see you guys launching uh, some of these products. And I'm definitely digging the, the Wagyu beef flavor that you guys have out there. But I like that too. But I personally like cheese a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Finally, I got to mention this. We're recording this in July 2017. And I know you're featured on the cover of this month's Your Fitness Magazine and also in this month's Wedding Ideas Magazine, which is very cool. And I'm just curious, what's been your most gratifying modeling gig and why? Each job is special in its own because, you know, you work with so many interesting people from all around the world all the time, which is great. I would say I've done Elle magazine, which I love, which I think was one of my favorite things that I've done. And then I've done Condé Nast Brides, which was gorgeous. Lots of interesting other jobs like for Swarovski, Sony, Virgin, Cornetto, which is all really fun. And I absolutely love it. Great. Well, if people want to learn more about you or if they want to learn more about Saver Smiths, where can they go to find out more? If they want to know more about me, they can probably give me a call. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we will not put your on phone number website, on. Email yeah. me. <laughs> no, don't worry. Please don't. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> we'll probably do a little bit more marketing and stuff where we write more about, you know, our story and the story behind Saver Smith. So people will be seeing that. Um, they can listen to your podcasts, obviously. And um, more about Saver Smith is on our website site, which is www.saversmith.com. Com. And yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, which we update, you know, and we keep it exciting and tell you all the new and exciting news and where you can buy it and everything like that. Very cool. Well, so thank you so much, Colette, for telling us more about your career as a model and entrepreneur and how important it is to be persistent in your career and most of all, how to balance the different priorities that you have in your professional life. So thanks for your time and best of luck with the rollout of Saver Smiths in the UK, Germany and America. Oh, thank you. And hopefully more. <laughs> and hopefully more. Yeah. There's more to come. Jacob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed hearing Colette's thoughts on how she figured out what sort of business to launch the importance of not taking rejection too personally along the way, and the importance of creating the headspace to organize your ideas and ambitions. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing my thoughts on how to turn exciting but daunting ideas into reality. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I just wanted to thank General Assembly for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. General Assembly is a pioneer in education and career transformation, specializing in today's most in-demand skills. A leading source for training, staffing, and career transitions, they foster a flourishing community of professionals pursuing careers they love. Visit ga.co to learn how General Assembly can boost your career and use promo code RELAUNCH for 20% off your first class or workshop. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help move you forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I want to pick up on something Colette mentioned about the importance of not just talking about your ideas, but doing something about those ideas, which is definitely the difficult part and something I feel we all have to tackle if we want to turn our ideas into something concrete. I've definitely experienced this chasm between ideas and action myself. I can think of multiple times in my life where I've had this great idea, especially business ideas, where I've said, you know what, someone should really launch product X. But then I just sat on it and I never did anything about it myself. And then years or even months later, I'd see it in market because someone else launched it, which is very frustrating. Has that ever happened to you where you have this great idea, but you never do anything about it? 
so it never goes anywhere. Or worse yet, you see someone else doing it instead. Anyway, after having this happen to me a few times, I eventually learned my lesson, and so I really try these days to turn the ideas I have into actual concrete actions and outputs. I'll give you an example. Going back to my days as a child, I always used to love radio. I used to actually sit in my closet as a kid and record pretend news broadcasts into a cassette recorder. I'd share the day's weather or news, or I'd interview my sister who would pretend to be someone else. In fact, here's an actual 30-second clip of us doing this way back in 1985. Hello, I'm Joseph Pingyong Lu in news broadcasters. And we are going to talk to a girl. And her name is... Joan Lu. Well, do you have an occupation, Joan Lu? Um, I work as a European mathematician. But what are you doing right now? I'm working in the communication of the equivalent fractions. Oh, will you explain that method to everybody, please? Well... Yes, that is me at the age of six and my sister at the age of eight pretending to be a European mathematician. Anyway, jump forward a few decades and after I started my career consultancy, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to launch a podcast that featured people who have relaunched their careers? But then I hit this long stretch where I didn't do anything about it, just like Colette described. For me, a lot of times this happens because moving forward with an idea just feels so daunting. I don't know anything about podcasting, so where do I even start with this? And what I've found during these times, when there seems to be this huge chasm between where you're standing right now and where you want to go, is that it can be helpful to break things down into micro-actions. Now, I define a micro-action as a manageable task you could easily start working on right now. So let me give you an example. I wanted to start a podcast. Well, where do I even start with that? So I figured, well, I probably need to come up with a topic, figure out how to record. I need to sort out how to get it out to people. But, but see, this is already starting to feel daunting. So I try to break it down further. So for example, what does coming up with a topic really require me to do? Like what are the actual actions I need to take? Well, I probably need to brainstorm ideas, decide where my focus should be. But see, you can break that down even further. On brainstorming ideas, that means, number one, scheduling in an hour to do a brain dump of anything that comes to mind. Number two, actually doing that brain dump. Number three, browsing through the career section of iTunes. So I've gone from this huge, daunting idea of wanting to launch a podcast to a series of manageable tasks I could literally start doing right now, beginning with going into my calendar and blocking off an hour to start capturing those topical ideas. So I'm sharing my process with you because maybe you've experienced this feeling of having an idea, but then not knowing exactly how and where to start. It can be paralyzing. I've been there and I get it. Starting is definitely the hardest part. But if you can sit down and break down your idea into manageable chunks of what you need to do or what you need to figure out, then keep breaking it down again and again and again into a list of micro actions, things you know you could start doing today. That's a great way of turning your ideas into concrete actions that turn into concrete outputs that eventually turn into concrete results. And when you do this, you might just be surprised how far you can get. This takes me to a quote from Vaclav Havel. Vision is not enough. It must be combined with venture. It is not enough to stare up the steps. We must step up the stairs. So my challenge to you is to take one important goal that's been nagging you for so long 
and start breaking it down into subtasks, then into actions, then into micro actions. Notice I didn't say to actually start working on those tasks, but simply to take the micro action of only creating that list of tasks for now. Then after that, you can start working through that list one small action at a time. Before we wrap up, I just want to say thank you to Heath in the United States who shared a nice review about career relaunch on Apple Podcasts, saying it's reassuring to know that others are in the same boat with those feelings of nervous excitement while making a career leap. It's a scary place sometimes, and that's why it's nice to know I'm not alone. Well, thanks, Heath, for taking the time to share your thoughts and remind us all that it's normal for career change to feel scary. And I'm really happy to hear this show is giving you some companionship along the way. Now, if you enjoy this show, I'd welcome you leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a couple minutes and it really helps grow our listener community. You can find the link to do that on today's episode page at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 24, where you can also find a summary of the ideas we've discussed and check out a few pictures from Colette's modeling shoots. While you're there, if there's a big goal you've decided to tackle and break down into manageable actions, I'd welcome you sharing it with the Career Relaunch community at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 24, so we can find out what you have planned. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch, and a special thanks again to Colette Russell-Smith for joining us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.